Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are kicking off a series today that we're calling Everyday Missionary. And we'll be spending four weeks looking into the role of a Christ follower in the world. What, what Jesus sends his followers to do. If you're not yet following Christ, then this series will give you a picture of the role that Jesus would give you if you did decide to follow him. One of the questions kids get asked a lot, I remember when I was a kid, I kept getting asked this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I started thinking about it. You know, I, I, this actually, it's this question that sent me on the path that ended up here with me speaking to you this morning, which is something an introvert would not necessarily like to do, but it, it launched me on this path. The bottom line, when I was asked this question growing up, my answer would be a Major League Baseball player. And I was pretty sure that I was going to make it, thought I had the goods and stuff. But then around 14, I was in eighth grade, and I began to uh, wonder if I got hurt, what, what would I do then? So I thought, well, I'll be a doctor. Then I thought, eh, I don't really like blood, so I, I don't think I want to go there. Um, maybe a lawyer. A lawyer. They seem to make a lot of money. And I was in English class one day, and as I was pondering being a lawyer, I thought, oh, I bet lawyers have to take a lot of English courses because, you know, it's about communicating, it's about writing things out. I thought, I, I can't stand this class. And and the thought, as clear as a bell, popped into my mind, what would God want you to do? And that scared the daylights out of me. That really, that really got my attention because I'd, re- I'd never considered that option. It seemed, you know, I grew up in church and I, I'm sure I heard a lot of messages about doing what God wants you to do. But in that way, I had never considered it. Now, I, I thought, okay... There's probably two options that God would want me to be. One, one would be a pastor or a missionary. Now, my, the spectrum and the, the options have increased since then. <laughs> you know, God, God, every, God has something for everyone to do, and it's not necessarily in those two categories, but I thought, oh no. Every pastor, I mean, at 14, every pastor, and every missionary I'd ever known was extremely uncool. I mean, they were two categories, cool, uncool. They were well in the uncool category. So I thought, oh, no, you know, I, I really fought this for quite a while because I, I did not want to be uncool at 14. It was a really frightening question for me. But... Honestly, if I were to tell you what I thought of missionaries, now I put them, you know, there's pastors, they're a little more normal than missionaries. Missionaries seem like they just couldn't adjust here in the U.S., so they went over there to, to do something. And I'm just being honest as to how I thought in my 14-year-old mind. Now, my attitude has shifted 
a great deal since 14, because some of my closest friends are missionaries, and they are, I, I would think, they're some of the coolest people I know, some of the most capable, some of the most gifted. They have sacrificed their own convenience and even risked their lives in countries that are close to the gospel to, to go there because they sense God told them to go. The scripture says to honor people like that. And so I have completely changed my value structure related to missionaries. They're now way up there. I honor them. The word missionary does bring up, though, various thoughts and feelings along a spectrum. For some, positive. Others of us may conjure up a negative image or feeling. But most Christ followers here in the U.S. would not describe themselves as missionaries. This this is not where we would put ourselves. According to the dictionary, here's what a missionary is. A person who is sent to a foreign country to do religious work. Second definition, a person undertaking a mission, and especially a religious mission. So for many of us, that that definition from Webster's matches the idea that comes into our mind when we hear the word missionary. A missionary is someone who goes somewhere foreign with a goal to reach a group of people with the gospel of Christ. So that that's that's what we tend to think of when we hear the word missionary. But an accurate definition of what the Bible says about the word missionary and the definition you find in Scripture is a missionary is someone who's sent. You can be sent overseas or you can be sent to work on a certain day or you can be sent to your family or your neighborhood. God sends Christ followers into their world. We go into our world as missionaries, as everyday missionaries. This is a perspective you find in Scripture. We go to our families, our work, our schools, our neighborhoods, any circle of friendships that we now have or that we may have in the future as we step into them. We go in to love, to serve, and to share what the Scripture calls the secret things of God. Interesting phrase we're going to look at this morning. God sends us into the world as everyday missionaries. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, was an everyday missionary himself. He actually didn't take a salary, but he was a tent maker. So he he worked uh, and paid his own way and would meet people and try to connect with them and help them understand more about Christ. In a letter to the church he started at Corinth, Paul gave the accurate perspective on a Christ follower's role in the world. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And what he's trying to do in this passage is shape their understanding of what he's doing among them and what they should be doing among others. So he says this, he says, So then, men ought to regard us, they ought to look at us this way, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
In describing himself, Paul shows us how we should see ourselves. This, this is how we should regard what he did and what we do every day. He gives the perspectives of an everyday missionary. Uh, first one is we are servants. If you're a Christ follower, this is what we ought to regard ourselves as. Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Now, the word servant in this passage is interesting. Usually it's the word, it was originally written in Greek, usually it's the word doulos, but it, it, this one is uh, another word that means under rower. And here, here's a picture of some guys who were under rowers from the movie Ben-Hur. Um, the under rowers were certainly not the captains of the ship. They were, they were, the captain wouldn't even go down here. See, he's got guys right there. I don't know if you can see them. It's a little fuzzy, but, uh, there's some guys with some whips making sure the under rowers do their jobs. What Paul's saying here, I step into my world and I'm a servant. I'm an under rower. I'm not the captain. Jesus is the captain. And I'm here to do what he told me to do. As he walks with me through the day, as Jesus, he's my captain. I'm here to do what he tells me to do in the moment. The last part of the verse is also instructive. As those entrusted with the secret things of God. We are stewards, so we're servants and we're stewards. We've been entrusted with the secret things of God. Paul says he and his team have been entrusted with these things. So have we. If you've decided to follow Christ, you've been trusted with these secrets that God has given. You've been given a responsibility then. A steward acts on someone else's behalf. So that's our responsibility. We're walking through our day, and Jesus is our captain. And we have a responsibility to walk in the way that pleases him. To do what he sends us into our world to do. And that is to carry the secret things of God. The secret things we hold are the message about Jesus Christ. And this is what's been entrusted to us. And, and one of the reasons... I believe Paul refers to it as secret things is because our message is not intuitive. It's not something that people are going to figure out on their own. It, it has to be shared. And so it's secret in the sense that there's this mystery to it and it's not readily apparent. And we're trusted with carrying these secrets around to share them. With the people around us. Our role is to faithfully tell the secrets. To the people around us. Christ followers shouldn't sit on these secrets. And keep them to ourselves. God has trusted us with the secrets. Everyone needs to know. And this is our role in the world. Without sharing these secrets. We miss a major part of our purpose in life. This is, this is really what God intends for us to get charged up over is taking these secrets to others in the world, those around us as everyday missionaries. Now, there are some challenges 
to sharing these secrets with the people around us. Um, one of the challenges is that as we're sharing the secrets, they may not necessarily make sense to the person we're telling the secrets to. And so God has to step in and reveal the truth of what we're sharing. That leaves us in a somewhat vulnerable position. When I, when I first got serious about telling others about Christ and trying to communicate this message that's not intuitive, one of my, one of my fears was, how, how is this going to make sense to them? In another place in 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to our message as the, the, the uh, foolishness of God. So, and, that, and that's how some people, when you share it, it just doesn't make sense at all. And you really need God to turn the lights on. And so how, how is that going to happen? I mean, as I first stepped out, I got serious. One time I thought... All right, I've grown up and I've heard all kinds of people talk about sharing their faith with other people. Frankly, that scares me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to do it or die trying. That's what I decided at one point. I remember that exact thought. I'm going to learn how to do this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get past my fear, or I'm going to die trying to figure it out. But one of the things that hung me up is, how, how is this going to happen? There's mystery to this. To this whole process, there's sort of this mystery. It's, it's, there's some secret aspect to it. It's not that the story is all that secret now. It's out. The secret's out. But it's that our message is not readily understood by everyone. The second aspect that really creates fear in us as we consider being an everyday missionary and sharing Christ with other people is that not only is the message not readily apparent, it's, it's offensive, <laughs> especially in our modern world. It, it offends people, especially the first part of it. And I'm going to walk through it. And there's some really bad news that people have to take in before they get to the good news that is the message. The message is really good news. That's what the gospel means. The gospel is a summary of the scriptures and the message of Christianity, the Christian message. That's, that's the gospel. It's really good news, but you have to take in and humbly receive a couple really pieces of bad news before you're ready to respond to it. So here we are. We've been given this assignment and it's to, it's to share this message that people may or may not grab a hold of right off the bat, and it might offend them. That is scary. So we have to rely on God. We have to rely on Him in two ways. First of all, to turn the lights on for people so that they understand the message. And secondly, to give us the courage to step out and share it with people. Because everyone really needs the secret things of God. They need to understand what it is, what the message is. So I'd like to walk through four secrets that have to do with this message. It's a basic summary, as I said, of the Christian message. 
First secret, secret number one, God is not okay with us. When you say that in our culture, that's offensive. And when we say it, it's a shock to the system of many modern people who've left God out of their lives and are trying desperately to figure out how to do life without him. None of us like to hear, in fact, that something's wrong with us. We, we know we aren't perfect, but hey, we're, we're trying harder than most <laughs> to do good. I mean, we're giving it our best shot here. We're, we're giving it a go. But the Bible tells us it's worse than we think. We've all got a real problem. Look at Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. You get a little glimmer of hope there of the good news. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We, we think if we're okay with us, my friends and family are okay with us, God's okay with us. That's what makes sense to us. But God doesn't think our thoughts. This is not the way God thinks. He has a very different way of seeing things. In this passage, God's telling the wicked and evil to seek his mercy. Return to him so he'll show compassion and pardon. This is what God does when you turn to him. But their assumption is wrong. They're assuming that God is thinking like them. That he's thinking their kind of thoughts. The way they would approach it. That he's looking at their lives from their vantage point. This is a wrong perspective. According to God, they're not okay. None of us are. When we say wicked, immediately our our minds go to some of the worst people who've ever lived on the face of the earth. Hitler, okay, that pops into the brain. Um, Bin Laden, more recently. Uh, Notorious death row inmates. We we think of these. We, We know that we're not perfect. We've messed up. We've sinned. We've blown it. But in comparison to those guys, we're doing pretty good. You know, we're all right. After all, we're we're trying harder than most to do good. This is what we're aiming to do. And this is what comes natural. This is why our message isn't intuitive, because we human beings like to justify ourselves. We, we We will go to great lengths to justify ourselves. We measure ourselves by what we see others doing, and we kind of put ourselves on a grade. But God, God, God doesn't think this way. This is not the way God thinks. That's what this passage is saying. God is, is he, he uses another ruler to measure our lives. God measures evil relative to himself. Not everyone else. So you measure me up to God, and I'm not okay. 
Maybe you measure me up to some of the folks around me or some of the people in the news. I'm, I've, I'm trending upward. I'm looking pretty good. But you measure me against God and his holiness, his perfection, who he is. And I fall way short. This is what the passage is trying to communicate here. God is really not okay with us. This is extremely clear in the Bible. Our sin has separated us from God. Here's another secret that God has entrusted to us. We cannot hide our sin. Secret number two. One day, our sin will be exposed completely and we'll have nowhere to run and hide. Sometimes we can hide it from others, but we can never hide our sin from God. It's like this toddler in this picture here trying to hide from his parents. <laughs> you know, you've seen, you've seen that, okay? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding. Let's play hide and seek. You're like, hey, pff, gee, I, I'm going to have to pretend. Well, God, God can see everything that's going on on the face of the earth all at once. In reality, God will bring to light all our wicked thoughts, and intentions on the day of judgment. They're all coming. They're going to be exposed. The ones we remember and the ones that make us cringe and the ones we've forgotten. He's going to bring them into light. Romans 2.16 says, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. This, this is a part of <clears throat> the gospel. The word here means good news. This, this is a part of it. One day, God will expose the sin that's plagued our lives, and so desperately we need a solution. We need help, which leads us to secret number three. Jesus is the only solution to our core problems in life. He is the only solution we can find. When it comes to addressing the problems in our lives, most people don't really know how Jesus fits into all that. We doesn't doesn't necessarily make sense. People know Jesus was a historical fig, figure. Some doubt that, but most mostly uh, intellectuals. Um, people know that Jesus was a historical uh, historical figure, but they don't realize that he's the only one who can offer forgiveness, who can wipe the slate clean. He's the only solution to secrets one and two. Jesus Christ. He's it. Jesus took our sin on himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him God, made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus absorbs our sin like a sponge. And he takes it on himself. But if we are going to if we're going to experience the forgiveness and the help that Jesus has to give, we have to take the sponge. You know, a sponge on the shelf does no good. You have to take it off the shelf and apply it to the mess. And that's how it is with, with Jesus. We have to apply what he's done on the cross to our sin. We choose that. We apply it to our sin we ask him to forgive us. He cleanses us. We make him our Lord, our boss, and we set ourselves to follow him. The only way that people will know this 
is if we tell these secrets to them. Our message is not something people are going to figure out on their own. There's a bit of mystery to it. So instead of trying to hide from God, we can approach him through Jesus Christ. And we can have our relationship with God restored. We're separated from sin by nature and naturally, but we can have it restored through Jesus Christ. And this makes all the difference in our everyday lives. Jesus isn't just the secret to forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. He is the secret on how to live life. He is like, look at, look at Colossians 2, 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged. This is why, what Paul's praying because of the mystery of the gospel. He prays that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The mystery has been solved in Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is like a treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge. He wants to guide you through making decisions, through dealing with the problems and the challenges that you face in life. He wants to walk through life with you. And he can rebuild your life if you trust him with your life. That's that's the secret thing of God. God's entrusted us with secret things And we're ordinary people. He's trusted us so that we could go share this message with those around us. So we could live as a witness, an example, and share the message with others. So this brings us to secret number four, which is humility unlocks the secret. Things of God. Sometimes we share these secrets with people, but the message doesn't click. I've been talking about this. Jesus said something related to this in Matthew 13. And he answered them, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Speaking of some folks, that, that they, they haven't unlocked the secrets. For this people's heart has grown dull. Another translation says it's become hardened. Their heart has become dull because it's hardened. The, the truth can't sink into it. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Humility is always required to unlock the secrets of God. It's, it's always a requirement. Some have hardened their hearts. And the idea there in their heart growing dull is that When they hear the secrets of God, when they hear the message of Christ, they're too proud to admit that they need it. And so they resist it. They reject it. If you've been sharing with someone about Christ, pray for them that they would humbly receive the message. This is a very important thing. If a person will humbly admit their need and turn to him, God brings the healing. He brings the help that he promises. Jesus told two parables. Parable is uh, usually a fictional story that communicates a transcendent truth, a truth about God or a truth about the way God's made life to work. Jesus was a master at crafting parables. And he told two parables 
to communicate the extreme value of the secrets God's entrusted to his followers. One of the parables was about a hidden treasure in a field. A man found the hidden treasure in a field. He left. He left the treasure there. He went out, sold everything he had to buy the field because this is how much how value it had. Another parable he told was about a pearl. A merchant found a pearl that was of such value that he sold everything he had and purchased the pearl. This, this is the, the hidden treasure in the field, the pearl. It's the gospel. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. It's precious. It's priceless to those who believe. We understand its value. Christ followers, we give the gospel and the message an extremely high rank in our value scale. We would trade, we would trade once you know it and once you've connected with Christ and begun to walk with him, you'd trade everything to follow him. And in fact, when God turns the lights on, it's worth leaving everything. It's worth selling everything and following because you realize this is the only answer to my deepest need, which is to have a restored relationship with God. Every day, however, we live around people, work around people, and relate to people who don't see the value of our message. In fact, they not only don't see the value, but some see it only as a way to gain a psychological edge. If it works for you, good. That's great. Go for it. But not for me. You know, there's no way I'm going to sell everything I have and buy the field. There's no way I'm going to do that. Others see it as a crutch to fall back on when facing adversity. And, you know, you don't... I've used a couple a couple times in my life I've used crutches. You just, you know, you, you only use them for a little bit while you need them because it really hurts. It's painful. You want to get rid of those. And so some people see... The gospel, a relationship with Christ, is that. Our, our co-workers, our fa- friends, and our family, they may see what we hold as priceless in the negative. This, this makes it scary to try to talk about <laughs> the truth, the, the gospel, with the people around us. They, they, they'd estimate its value. We'd, we'd give it an extremely high value. They'd say it's a zero. And maybe not just a zero, they may be view you in the negative for even mentioning it. So this this makes it a little scary to try to talk about this with our family and friends. If you know Jesus personally and walk with him, you know he's real. And the life he leads you to live is the best possible life. You've experienced the reality of this. You, you know you're not better than other people, but Jesus makes life better. The offer is open to everyone. You set the, the value of the gospel as priceless, but the people you're relating to and trying to share the message with don't see it this way. You know, however, if people can just understand, if they can have the lights turned on and give their lives to follow them, him, them, him then he's going to lead them to live the best possible life that they can have. And so we're in this tough spot 
It's a scary spot. As we try to communicate this message, the people around you don't immediately give the same value to knowing and following Jesus. This makes sharing the truth that we've been trusted with scary and hairy, as we would say in my era. Hairy and scary. When we identify with Christ and try to share the secrets, we're not quite sure how people are going to respond to that. We're afraid of failing. We're we're not only afraid of offending people, we really need God's help to share it as graciously and kindly in the context of a relationship where we've loved and served. We're the underrowers. We've loved and served the people around us. So we share in the context of the relationship we have with them. And so we need to take care to love people, to serve them. But at the same time, when we open our mouth to share the message, we're not quite sure if they're going to be offended or not. Secondly, we're just afraid of failing. Maybe maybe we start sharing and they come up with a question or an objection we can't answer. That that That's fearful. We'll, or maybe we leave a bad impression because we get tongue-tied and we can't explain what's on our hearts, or and we look silly, and we're not quite sure what's going to happen there. I'd like to show you a video from Sarah Blakely, a very successful CEO, who talks about the way her dad trained her to view failure. And I think it, it applies to us as we try to take our message to the people around us. Let's watch this video. My father used to ask my brother and me what we had failed at at the dinner table, which was so interesting, and he'd celebrate it, and he'd actually be disappointed if I didn't have something that I failed at that week. So I can remember saying, Dad, Dad, I tried out for this, and I was horrible, and he would actually high-five me and say, congratulations, way to go. And what it did was just reframe my definition of failure. Failure for me became not trying versus the outcome. So, so many people don't take risks for fear of failure. They don't start the business. They don't go create the art they want to create or they don't go try out to be in the play or whatever it is for the fear of failure. And once you redefine that for yourself and realize the failure is just not trying, then life opens up to you in many ways. And I would also, my dad would encourage me anytime something didn't go the way I expected it to or maybe I got embarrassed by a situation to write down where, where the hidden gifts were and what I got out of it. And I started realizing in everything there was some amazing nugget that I wouldn't have wanted to pass up. So there, she's, she's applying that to her business success. But I think that really applies to us as we step out to try to share the gospel. God only expects us to be faithful. You see that. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust prove faithful. That's it. We, we faithfully pray. We faithfully share our, our testimonies about how God's changed us. We faithfully try to get in conversations where we can share the message. That's changed our lives. God doesn't expect us to be in charge of the results. In another place, actually in the chapter right before the passage, 1 Corinthians 4, 
in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's talking about how he has worked with God, how God has worked with him to do the ministry that he's done. And what he says is, he says, I planted another guy, Apollos, watered, and God gave the growth. Our, our job is not to give the growth. Our job is to plant seeds, to maybe water, to really help people gain a good impression of who God is, who Jesus is, to give them an accurate picture of who he was and what he said, and to work through our fears. I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be successful in helping someone else come to know Christ. That's God's work. I can, however, set my heart to be faithful and to pray and to aim to share and to grow in my ability and understanding of how to do that. I'd like to wrap up the message this morning by asking you to share or think through some next steps. And um, if you could take out your connection card, the next steps are on the back of the listening guide. They're also on the, the connection card that's in your program or that was in there that you began filling out uh, earlier, possibly. If, if you could finish completing any information on that card, that would be great. And then when the offering uh, ushers come by, you can drop the card in the basket there. Here are my suggestions for next steps. First of all, if, if you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, I, I walk through the message. And maybe you've heard it before, but as I walk through it, God drew your heart to take a step to give your life to him. So that's the first step. For the first time, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I commit my life to follow him as Lord. That's one step you could take. If you already know Jesus Christ, you're already following him, where do you go every day that God intends you to serve him as a missionary? Work, school, family, in your neighborhood. Maybe, maybe this idea of being a missionary is new to you. You never really looked at it that way. Where does God want you to serve and be the under rower? To serve him, to serve the people around you. To steward the secret things of God. And then... Another step could be to pray for those in your circle of influence every day this week that don't know Christ, that you want to, or maybe you don't know where they stand with Christ. You just want to talk to them about it, have a conversation with them. Uh, where, where are they? Just try to find out. Um, you could pray. Pray that God would allow you to do that. Pray for them that God would open their heart to see the truth. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for the help you give us in the word. We thank you for this message that uh, really contains an amazing amount of love that you've shown to us, Lord God, by sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for us and the love you've shown in that. We honor you and praise you and I ask, God, that you'd give us the power to take the steps you've laid on our heart to take this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.